this is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. After last year's more than 22% personal income tax cut, the governor and some in the legislature are interested in more tax cuts. But there are financial considerations. We know that some of the, the historic surpluses that we've seen over the course of the past four or five years are, are just that. They're historic surpluses. They're not things that we can build a budget around. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. The Allegheny Front, based in Pittsburgh, is a public radio program that reports on environmental issues in the region. Here's their latest story about replacing coal and natural gas jobs with clean energy jobs. By 2028, all coal-fired power plants in Pennsylvania will be closed or converted to natural gas. What does that mean for workers? This is the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holsapple. A recent study examines whether clean energy jobs will come to communities where coal mining and fossil fuel power plants have been part of the economy for decades. The Allegheny Front's intern, Donish Bajwa, has more. The country is moving away from fossil fuels. It's now in the agreement signed at the latest UN climate conference just held in December. But that means hundreds of thousands of workers in the coal, gas, and oil industries could be out of work in places like Texas, Wyoming, and Appalachia. New jobs will be created in clean energy production. But will they be in the same places where fossil fuel workers are now? Michael Akin, professor at EPFL in Switzerland, said he and his cohorts on a study published in Nature Communications wanted to know two things. Do workers have the right skill sets to do this? The second friction we looked at was geography. Are workers, fossil fuel workers, located where these green jobs are and will continue to grow? They used the location of current green energy power plants like wind and solar and employment projections for 2029 to predict where green energy jobs are likely to be in the future. What they found is that fossil fuel workers do have similar skills needed for those new jobs, but projected the jobs are unlikely to come to the communities they live in. Morgan Frank, an author on the study and assistant professor at the University of Pittsburgh, explains. Green energy production depends on regional factors. You need a lot of sunlight if you're going to be a successful solar energy producer. You need wind if you're going to produce energy with wind. So, for instance, large-scale solar energy production might not be located in cloudy western Pennsylvania or West Virginia, but rather in sunny places like California or Texas. For workers, this means that they may have to move. Frank says census data show that's unlikely. Historically, they do not travel very far to take advantage of new employment opportunities. They are not big movers. The researchers suggest one solution may be incentivizing workers to move. Aaron Bates, the communications director for the United Mine Workers of America, says that fossil fuel workers are already moving for jobs. But this doesn't help the communities they leave behind. Sure. They'll, they'll move to find better jobs. They'll move to support their family. Anyone will do that. But why are we trying to, why can't we fix the problem of helping the communities that are being so devastated for decades? The researchers concluded that major policy interventions will be needed to bring green energy jobs to these workers. 
They pointed to President Biden's major climate initiative, the Inflation Reduction Act. The IRA promises to grow employment in fossil fuel communities. The 2022 law includes at least $4 billion in tax credits to build clean energy manufacturing, among other projects in regions with closed coal mines or power plants. Bates is waiting for results. The IRA made some great promises, and we were highly involved in those promises. We haven't seen much come to fruition, but we do have hope. For the Allegheny Front, I'm Donish Bajwa. Donish Bajwa is an intern with the Allegheny Front. That's the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holsapple. The Allegheny Front is based in Pittsburgh and reports on regional environmental news. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 749. Mostly cloudy skies today, a chance of rain or snow, high temperatures in the 30s and 40s. Mostly cloudy tonight with lows in the 20s and 30s. Partly cloudy tomorrow with a chance of rain, highs in the 40s and 50s. Support for WVPB is provided by Dutch Miller Subaru in Charleston. Dutch Miller Automotive is proud to be dedicated to multiple community service initiatives and local charities. More about our team and the Subaru Love Promise at DutchMillerSubaru.com. Lawmakers are mulling over countless tax proposals that would directly affect West Virginians and their wallets. On Friday for the legislature today, Randy Owey spoke with Speaker of the House Roger Hanshaw, a Republican from Clay County, and Kelly Allen, the executive director at the West Virginia Center on Budget and Policy, to discuss budgets and taxes. Let's start with this 21 and a quarter percent personal income tax cut that we all have now. But there's triggers in place to graduate this by 10 percent over the next three years. But state budget analysts say there may be a slight downturn in revenue surpluses over that time. So how does that all compute? Mr. Speaker, let's start with you. Sure. Well, it's it's so it's it's a backward-looking mechanism, Randy. It's not a forward-looking mechanism. So we we want to be sensitive to that. We know that some of the the historic surpluses that we've seen over the course of the past four or five years are are just that. They're historic surpluses. They're not things that we can build a budget around. And we've tried not to build a budget around them and use them only for one-time capital expenditures and and investments that don't grow our base budget, specifically to deal with the temporal, temporary nature of these surpluses. We, we, we know that that's going to happen. But we also want to be forward-looking in, in, in terms of putting in place a structure that, that, when prudent and if appropriate, allows us to take additional bites at the state personal income tax. That's, that's how the formula works. It's a backward-looking process. It's, it's not based on projections or or, or fanciful expectations. It's, it's based on actual numbers. So we, we do want to be sensitive to that. We agree that, that that's the prudent thing to do. Does this all sound sound, sound Kelly? 
Well, I think the triggers create a lot of uncertainty going forward. You know, they're automatically baked into uh, the law and lawmakers don't have to take any action for them to go into place. So after five, six years of flat budgets, we're seeing a lot of pent up budget needs, which I think we can talk about. Um, and these triggers almost say that tax cuts will come at the front of the line uh, as budget needs emerge for lawmakers in real time as they're continuing or considering, you know, pay raises for teachers, expansions of the Hope Scholarship, Medicaid, PEIA. Uh, so we're just really concerned about the uncertainty and how they might pit tax cuts further against really important state budget needs. But as you explained, these tax cuts or these possible triggers come with a number of variables that have to fall into line, right? Well, they do. They, they, they do. But it, it is a backward looking mechanism. So it's not a forward looking mechanism. So we, we do when the triggers hit, they hit based upon collections and revenue okay, from okay, the okay. previous year. Right. So as long as the state's on a positive trajectory, those triggers are satisfied. So we, we want to be sensitive to the needs of, of continued investment in our state's physical infrastructure, our, the, the salary of our workers, compensation for our, our, our school teachers and school service personnel, members of the state police. All of our state workers and, and, and others are, are likely to be acted on, even this year, while we're in an environment in which we can do it. So all, all those things are important to us. Us, we want to be sure we are doing the prudent thing here. Okay, so there's three Governor Justice proposed tax breaks to combine to about $50 million. Let's take them one at a time. The proposal for exempting Social Security income from personal income taxes now, include, now will include everybody, not just the low and middle income folks. Governor Justice says 50,000 50, households would be affected. Let's take me, for example. Mm -hmm. I'm 70 years old. I've been collecting Social Security now for three and a half years. My financial advisor says to put 10% of that aside every year to pay my federal and state taxes. That's a good chunk of change out of my pocket that I could be spending on something else. Will this help me? Well, we agree with that. We agree that there, that's a chunk of change that we'd like for you to, to not have to pay to the state. We'd like for you to be able to spend that and pay it into the economy. I do expect that we'll see movement on that bill in the House. What do you think on that? Well, I think considering more tax cuts when the last round of tax cuts hasn't even been fully enacted, uh, the property tax rebates from last year's tax cuts won't hit the budget until fiscal year 2025. I think those are expected to cost about another $200 million a year. Uh, and then again, we've got these triggers really kind of hanging over our heads. So it is really concerning to consider more tax cuts before we've seen the full impact of, of last year's. And I'd also say, you know, that the tax cuts that the governor proposed do come with opportunity costs. You know, we've heard things like our home health workers that care for our seniors as they age need a raise. That would cost about $50 million. So, um, you know, one thing that we can do comes at the cost of something else. So it's just really important to think of those services that benefit all seniors. But for those, yeah, but for the seniors collecting Social Security, there's many of them that, that don't have a job right now or have to get a part-time job as a greeter in Walmart or something like that. So that cut would really help them, right? I would guess most of those folks are probably already covered by the existing Social Security exemption. Um, I think this would cover about 10% of seniors. I think that's right. Okay. Um, then there's a credit equal to about 50% of the allowable child and dependent care credit. Mm -hmm. Explain that in layman's terms and who it helps. So child, child care is, is one of the, the absolute pillars of the state's overall strategy for economic development, Randy. The, the, for the this number, year, yes. Absolutely. The number one ask 
of, of West Virginia's business organizations and, and the largest business advocacy organization in West Virginia for two consecutive sessions now has not been tax cuts. It has not been regulatory reform. It's not been a change to the judicial structure. It's been child care. It's been new ways to care for the children of workers when the workers go off to fill the job opportunities that we're recruiting to West Virginia. This is a big deal for us. It's, it's, it's one of those rare moments in which nearly everybody is in agreement that this is something that needs to be done. House Speaker Roger Hanshaw and Kelly Allen from the West Virginia Center on Budget and Policy speaking with Randy Yoey for the legislature today. To hear the rest of that conversation, visit our website and tune in to the legislature today every Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.